If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 7. We are continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew, The Good Life. And uh, we will be reading the first 12 verses in chapter 7 of, Matthew's, of the Gospel of Matthew. In honor of God's word, please stand with me as I read. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. So to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Amen. Please be seated. Every two years or so, I'm supposed to do an eye exam, and some of you have to go every year if you wear contacts. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's very traumatic time for me. You know, one or two. You know, three or four. Like, oh, so much pressure. I'm like, oh, is there a failing grade for this? The good news is that the eye exam we are doing this morning, it's a self-exam, self-appraisal, self-evaluation. And we need to remember the context of this because the context is given to us earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, where Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And throughout the gospel, as we were here throughout the sermon, Jesus tells his disciples how to live life. And uh, again, uh, last week, Pastor Bruce told us how to seek God first, and we talked about his generosity. We'll come back to it. But here in chapter 7, it seems that Jesus is moving to how should we treat each other? How do we deal with uh, each other? Because the, the title of our series is The Good Life. But it seems like sometimes we think our life is not so good if we feel like we need to judge others. So does our judging depend on the quality of life that we lead? 
again, we'll have to decide uh, for ourselves. The word judge comes uh, from the Greek word krino, and the, the reason I'm using the verb is because in certain parts, the word actually is uh, spelled with C-R-I-T. It's from where we get the word critic. And that's, again, this root of the verb is very important. And it is, uh, uh, it's a verb that has a wide semantic range. As you can see, in most cases, it is used uh, for judgment. Uh, actually, it appears a total of 150 times, 15 times in the New Testament, but 80 of those times is translated like judge, like here in chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, uh, that you do not be judged. But then it also appears with the idea of condemnation. Uh, only about nine times actually appears like that. Uh, Jesus says in John 3:17, "For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him." Same verb is used. Uh, sometimes it's used just to to decide. Again, when we dis make a decision, we have to use our judgment, right? We make a judgment call. Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide, decide never to put a stumbling block on hindrance in the way of a brother. So the idea, again, and it's used in other, word, in other ways three times or less. But the idea is that there is a judgment of condemnation and there's a judgment of evaluation. And that's important for us to distinguish between those. Because probably this verse is one of the most abused verses that people are using, right? Especially unbelievers, when you're talking about any issue, hey, do not judge, the Bible says do not judge. Again, it's a verse taken out of context. So first we need to look at what do not uh, judge does not mean. Do not judge does not mean do not discern or do not evaluate. Remember, a judgment for evaluation. In Luke 12, actually, Jesus uses this when he says to the crowds, when you see a cloud riding in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And so it happens. Then when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you, do you not do how to interpret this present time? And then in verse 57 it says, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? In other words, as we live, as we walk on the path of obedience, we have to make these judgment calls all the time. We need to discern all the time what is right and what is wrong and which way, which way to go. To not judge does not mean that we do not practice church discipline. Many years ago, there was a church in Oklahoma that disfellowshipped a woman for immorality, and then she filed a lawsuit against the church, and the, the, the case made national news, and it appeared on a daytime show. And uh, you can imagine what happened on a daytime show. All these theologians got up and said, what? 
do not judge. The Bible says do not judge, do not judge. But that's not what the Bible says there. The Bible, when it says do not judge, does not mean that your church should not practice church discipline. Because there are other verses that tell us that the church needs to practice um, self, uh, I mean, church discipline. Uh, Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." In 1 Corinthians 5, we also have a very good example of this uh, where basically Paul instructs the church in the practice of church discipline uh, when he writes in 1 Corinthians 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Are you not rather to mourn let him who has done this be removed from among you. Like, ooh, wait a second. I thought we're supposed to love everybody. Everybody, no, well, again, we have to look in context, and the context is clear. The church leadership needs to practice self-discipline uh, self first, and then church discipline uh, second. Do not judge does not mean do not discern. It does not mean that the church should not practice church discipline. And it does not mean that you should not practice parental discipline. A teenager is at odds with his or her parents. You know, they slam the door in your face and they quote the Bible to you. The Bible says, judge not. Does that mean that you stop disciplining your children because they misquoted scripture? The answer is no. Proverbs 22:15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23:13 and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Remember the context. The context is what? If your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's what do not judge does not mean. What does it mean? First, and by the way, the Bible then teaches us and tells us why we shouldn't judge in the sense that we should not make judgments for condemnation. We should do judgments for evaluation all the time but we should not make judgments for condemnation. Why, Jesus says? Because you also will be judged. See, as Jesus is looking at the problems in his day, he sees that, you know, making judgments on others, judgments to condemn, is a big problem. The Pharisees, you know, had PhDs in that. They were sitting high up and judging people and condemning them for what they do and what they don't do. They were pointing their fingers in everybody else's face. But Romans 14 says that sometimes we judge, 
Not no, we shouldn't judge, not because we will be judged, but we shouldn't judge because we judge people for small, petty things. Uh, Romans 14, starting in verse 1, uh, Paul writes, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to, to God. In other words, did you catch what we're, <laughs> what we're arguing about? <laughs> what we eat, you know, what days are holy, what are not. I mean, we're arguing about really small, petty things. What we need to, to understand is that God has never called us to be judges. He has called us to be witnesses. He has not called us to be judges. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. It doesn't say my judges. My witnesses. See, when I was little, and I was thinking what I want to be when I grow up, I thought it would be cool to be a judge. To just say, you know, guilty, not guilty. And then I found out you have to be a lawyer first, and I said no. <laughs> By the way, it's not true in all uh, countries, but um, yes, sometimes we uh, we judge, but the Bible says that we shouldn't judge not only because we will be judged ourselves or because we make judgments regarding petty things, but we shouldn't judge, Jesus says, because our judgment is incorrect. Uh, and the reason our judgment is incorrect sometimes is because of what we're dealing with ourselves. So to illustrate the foolishness of judging for condemnation, he uses this illustration, this hyperbole. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's, it, it's kind of like a scene from the Three Stooges, isn't it? Right? It'd be like, okay, I'm gonna, Jim, I'm gonna do an eye exam on you. So I'm going to look in your eye. <laughs> Sounds silly, right? How can I do that when I have this in my own eye? <laughs> and by the way, some people say, there's nothing actually in Jim's eye. It's just the reflection of my log in his eye. <laughs> we don't know, but it's silly, isn't it? Actually, Jesus uses harsh words. You hypocrite. I mean, that's a, uh, that's a harsh word. Again, when you say something against someone, and you do, this, you do the same thing. When you practice the same thing that you condemn in, 
in others. And uh, by the way, Jesus was a carpenter. He knew all about specks and logs and planks. But sometimes we are blinded, not by a physical log like that, but we are blinded by our own hypocrisy. We are blinded by our pride sometimes. I mean, think about this. The reason our, we need to go above the, the righteousness of the Pharisees is because they were standing there and looking upon everybody else and making judgments for condemnation. You see, when you judge others, you basically say what? I am better than you. And that is always prideful. And that is never okay. Mother Teresa said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. Calvin Miller writes, love those you would like to judge. Loving is a dear physician who treats the soul with instant health. When you affirm others, a wonderful therapy will heal your own soul. Instead of seeing the faults in others, you will see your own. Then the judgment you would have given others will touch your own belligerence with grace. No one else will be injured and you will be healed. Again, one of the biggest problems when we judge for condemnation is that we are standing in, the, in God's seat. Think about a, a courtroom. We are called to be in the witness stand, and yet we go on the judge's seat. So next time we judge, what we should do is we, we should be silent and hear God's loving voice who says to us, scoot over. You're in my seat. You are supposed to be in the witness stand, not in the judge's seat. Scoot over. Only God is the only one who can judge impartially. Psalm 9:8. God will judge the world in righteousness. Romans 14. Why do you judge your brother? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. See, our judgments are always wrong because we, 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 we judge based on what we see. In John 8, 8, 15, Jesus says to the Pharisee, you judge by the human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do not judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with my Father who sent me. So we should not judge because our judgment is always incorrect. As Samuel tells, as God tells Samuel when they're looking for a king, says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. He's talking about David's brothers. The Lord does not look at his uh, man, as the man, as, as man looks at, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I mean, some of you made judgment, judgments this morning as you saw me up here. And you made a judgment call and you said, Tiberius, your hair looks great. <laughs> and that was a good judgment call. <laughs> Some of you made a judgment and said, why are you wearing a tie? Now I'll tell you why I'm wearing a tie. Because that's what I have in my closet. <laughs> you should wear what you have in your closet. And you, you can make a judgment for evaluation and say, yeah, that tie fits or doesn't fit. You can probably do better with color coordination, whatever. But I'm wearing what I have in my closet. You should wear what you have in your closet. See, before I, uh, I came to Grace, I, I, I was a pastor in a Romanian church, and every Sunday I had to wear a suit and tie. 
And then I went to another school to teach before I came here, and every day I had to wear a suit and tie. You know what I have in my closet? Suits and ties. And that's what I'm wearing. And you should not judge me. And I'm, by the way, I'm not coming to the speaking game. Sam, next time you preach, you should wear a tie. No, no. I'm not making a judgment for condemnation. I am making a judgment for evaluation, and that's the way we do it. We should not make judgments on other people because our judgments are always incorrect. We don't know a lot of the things that are happening in people's lives. We don't know why they do what they do. We don't know why they dress the way they dress. So we should not make judgments for condemnation. What's interesting is then Jesus says, hey, there is a right way to judge. And it surprises us that it's actually some pretty harsh words. And he says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So Jesus says, hey, you should not make judgments for condemnation, but you should make judgments for evaluation. See, in the first part, Jesus condemns the Pharisaic, critical, holier-than-thou, jumping-to-conclusion sort of judgment. But now, in the second statement, Jesus says that we need to evaluate certain things and make decisions when we deal with other people. We need to do a judgment for evaluation. First uh, John 4.1, John tells us, that we should not believe every preacher, but test the spirits. To test the spirits, we need to make judgment calls. When I hear a false preacher, to turn it off and say, oh, that's false, I'm going to turn aside from it. 1 Corinthians 5.11 tells us not to associate with a brother who is a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. Well, that, that demands us to make certain judgment calls and to discern who is a person who is a fornicator, covetous, idolater, so forth and so on. One scholar puts it like this. He says, dogs signify people who spurn, oppose, and abuse the doctrine. People of special sourness and malignity of temper who meet it like growling and quarrelsome cursing. Swine denote those who would trample the precepts underfoot. People of impurity of life, those who are corrupt, polluted, profane, obscene, and sensual, those who would not know the value of the gospel and who would tread it down as swine with pearls. The meaning of this proverb then is this. Do not offer your doctrine to those violent and abusive people who would growl and curse you, nor to those debased and pro profligate who would not perceive its value, who trample it down and who would abuse you. Another scholar says, and I quote, Jesus is obviously not telling his followers not to preach to certain kinds of people, but he does recognize that after sustained rejection and reproach, it is appropriate to move on to others. Now, it doesn't mean that you, don't, that you give up on people and you don't, you don't pray for them and for their salvation. I'll give you an example. Growing up, uh, in our youth group, there was a guy who went really astray. I mean, Hollywood, uh, drugs, women, all types of things. And I can tell you from a human perspective, there was no way that person would become saved. And I, uh, I tell you to my shame, I gave up on that guy. I said, there's no way that guy will come back. 
My brother, Chris, never gave up on him. He prayed for him, he fasted for him, and that guy came back to Christ and then got married, has kids, and followed Jesus all the way. So just because you stop talking to them does not mean you stopped praying for them. And God can bring people into their lives. Again, we lived in separate cities. But God can work certain things in people's life in a miraculous way. It doesn't say you should stop caring or loving people. But sometimes we have to be wise of what to say and what not to say. And when to say it. And then you have a, 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 another, a, seems like an abrupt uh, change of subject. I mean, Jesus talks about do not judge, and then, you know, judge, and then he says, ask and it will be given to you. I'm like, whoa. Now we're talking about prayer. What's going on? What is the, wh- 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 why is such a big abrupt change? Actually, it's not a big abrupt change. Actually, it goes back to what Pastor Bruce talked about last Sunday. What the next passage talks about is the generosity of God that we need to learn from, and as God is generous to us, we need to be generous to others. Also, we can say that if we stop judging people, the question is, what are we going to do with all that time? Because we're going to have a lot of free time on our hands. Pray. Use that time to pray for people instead of judging them. We'll have a lot of time to do that. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened uh, to you. Uh, and then Jesus says, look, uh, there is a reason why I'm do this, doing this. Uh, because uh, our father is the good, good father that we sing about. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a servant? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask? So, have you experienced the generosity of God? Yeah. And if you have, what Jesus says is you should use it to love others, to be generous to others. Go to him first. And then you practice that generosity uh, to others. And then the passage ends with what we know as to be as the golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. By the way, when you, say, when you see that expression, the law and the prophets, basically it's one way to say the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is contained in that. That's uh, one way to say it. It's not the only way, but it's one way to say it. When Jesus says the golden rule, there was another rule in effect that was spoken by Rabbi Hillel, who lived, as you can see, uh, from 110 BC to 10 AD. Yes, he lived that long. So he lived before Christ and he lived in Anno Domini. And he came up with this, called, this law called the ethic of reciprocity. That which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah. Now think about that. If we follow that rule, the, the ethic of reciprocity, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow, that can actually be very passive. And if I practice this on Wally, let's say, I'm, I can actually not do anything. Do you see that? If you practice this, this can actually lead to passivity, and you say, hey, I'm not going to do anything to my neighbor. 
because I don't want want them to do to you. Jesus takes that and puts it in a positive way and moves us to action because it is not enough not to do which is hateful to other people or not to do that to them, but whatever you wish that others do to you, you also do to them. In other words, we have to move to action. It is not enough to be passive. Well, I don't care, or I'm indifferent. No, there's not, no place for a disciple of Christ to be indifferent to other people. Let me close with, a, with an illustration. A long time in China, a girl by the name of Li Li got married and went to live with her husband and her mother-in-law. And uh, in a very short time, Li Li found that she couldn't get along with her mother-in-law. Their personalities were very different, and uh, Li Li was angered by many of her mother's mother-in-law's habits. In addition, the mother-in-law criticized Li Li constantly. And so Li Li and her mother fought, fought all the time, and um, things got things got worse. Obviously, the husband was caught in the middle. That was never good. So one day when Lily couldn't take it anymore, um, she decided to go to an old man in the village by the name of Mr. Huang, who sold herbs. And she told him the situation, and uh, Lily said, Mr. Huang, I want you to give me some poisonous herbs um, she didn't say uh, what it was for. Um, by the way, she did, uh, she really wanted to kill her mother-in-law. And Mr. Wang went back into the room and returned in a few minutes with a package of herbs and uh, Lily in the meantime shared what the problem was with the mother-in-law and what she wanted to do. So Mr. Wang gave him a certain type of herbs, and uh, he said to her, you cannot use a quick-acting poison to get rid of your mother-in-law because it would cause people to become suspicious. Therefore, I have given you a number of herbs that will slow, slowly build up in her body. Every other day, prepare some pork or chicken and put a little of those herbs in her serving. Now, in order to make sure that nobody suspects you when she dies, you must be very careful to act very friendly towards her. Don't argue with her, obey her in every wish, and treat her, treat her like a queen. Lily was so happy. She thanked Mr. Huang and hurried home to start her plot of murdering her mother-in-law. Weeks went by and months went by, and every other day, Lily served a special treated food to her mother-in-law. She remembered what Mr. Wang said about avoiding suspicion, so she controlled her temper, obeyed her mother-in-law, and treated her like her mother. After six months had passed, the whole household has changed. Lily had practiced controlling her temper so much that she found that she almost never got mad or upset. She hadn't had an argument in six months with her mother-in-law, who now seemed much kinder and easier to get along with. The mother-in-law's attitude towards Lily changed, and she began to love Lily like her own daughter. She kept telling her friends and relatives that Lily was the best daughter-in-law one could ever find. Lily and her mother-in-law were now treating each other like a real mother and daughter, and Lily's husband was very happy to see what was happening. 
One day, Lili went back to Mr. Wang and said, Mr. Wang, I don't want to kill my, mother any, my mother-in-law anymore. I don't want those herbs to kill her because of the poison I gave her. Mr. Wang smiled and nodded. He said and said, Lili, there's nothing to worry about. I never, I never gave you any poison. The herbs, I gave, the herbs I gave you were vitamins to improve her health. <laughs> the only poison was in your mind and in your attitude towards her. But that has all been washed away by the love which you gave her. What do we need to do, my dear brothers and sisters? We need to confess and repent when we judged to condemn. We need to ask God for wisdom to learn how to judge, to evaluate, and we need to start with ourselves. As Sam said some weeks ago, the self-appraisal. We have to do a self-appraisal first. Conduct an honest self-appraisal to see what needs to be changed in us. Like the prayer of Peter Marshall who said, Dear Lord, when I am wrong, make me easy to change. And when I am right, make me easy to live with. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active. Pray for forgiveness for the many times when we judged uh, without having all the information, without uh, knowing the situation, when we judged to condemn others. Teach us what it means to love others and your generosity and love. May we display it to others in such a way that they will see you and surrender their lives to you. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.